hot. <laughs> it was a little loud, wasn't it? Yeah. Actually, I think my uh, how's your headphone volume? Is it good? It's fine. Yeah, mine's a little mine's a little hot, but I'll I'll make do. I'm going deaf, so it probably helps. It's that old man. It is. I know. <laughs> Too bad our listeners missed our all of our earlier old man conversations we were having. <laughs> I don't think anybody cares. No, they don't. Oh, but maybe some of them can, um, you know, sympathize. I mean, is this a Salesforce podcast or a personality podcast? Neither. We're not a Salesforce podcast, even though that I think it says that in our thing. Well, I'm surprised. I'm do surprised. we have enough personality to be considered a personality podcast? No, not at all. Oh. We're um, I'm not sure what we are. We're we're miscellaneous. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, how's it going, man? No, don't ask me that. Don't ask you that because it's always going bad. No, it's not. No, it is. It's always going bad. It's always bad. It's always bad. Getting older, getting getting worse. Yeah. Well, should be more of a curmudgeon, but I try to. It's a, wait, wait, wait. You should be more of a curmudgeon. I like should more be, than you like, already are. The older we get, we're supposed to be grumpier. But I find the older I get, the more I'm per, the more protective I am of my <laughs> career. So I I tend to watch what I say more. No. Oh. Until I retire, then I can be a full curmudgeon. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you can go scorched earth. When, yeah. Then you don't need to have a career anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, John. I would never do such filtering. <laughs> of course not. None yeah. of us would, right? Right. No. <clears throat> nope. Well, I, I enjoyed the last episode with Stefan. That was good. Uh, I think we got we got some good public and private feedback on that. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. It was a fire drill since we didn't weren't expecting it, but... That's true. That's true. Those are always fun. Yeah. Well, we got a few things in the news. Let's see. I, I saw you've got some topics here. What do we want to kick it off with today? Well, I mean, the, the big, the most, I, we can start with the NFT stuff. I mean, not that I have much to say about it other than it seems odd given the the public perception of NFTs these days uh, that Salesforce is I mean, I guess they've already invested in it, so why not put it out? But it was put out in like one of their PR releases, like, "Hey, this is a yep. great new, th- great thing we're finally releasing." Okay, so yeah, and this is one of those things. I mean, you you can't talk about NFTs without people kind of making fun of you, you yeah, know? Um, because I think they've, they're already such a spectacular failure for for the most part, or at least the highly publicized things. Well, I, th- I think a lot of that is is because uh, coins or you know virtual currency, what do we call this blockchain currency, whatever we're calling it, um, because of the scams that, that started to be prevalent with those NFTs. Just kind of the the same people making those scams started making NFT scams, and it just it took the technology before it could even get its footing and turn it into just a, a scam product. Yeah, and, and you know some of the. I don't follow. I, I never followed blockchain super closely. I've never done like a technical deep dive on it. I mean, I understand just cryptographically at a, at a high level how, how it works and why it works. But I mean, I've never dug into any of the, you know, the fun details. Um, so I can just, but I do feel like I follow some smart people on Twitter and, and things. And everything that people have been saying about NFT, it's really like, it's so easy to see that the, the, the whole web three thing is 95% grifters. Yeah. Um, it's not that there's not, you know, legitimate application for that technology that there probably is, but it's just, it's, it's so overshadowed. It's been given such a bad name by the grifters. Um, I feel like that. I don't think blockchain was as bad though. 
I mean, yes, there was hype around blockchain, but it's it was normal hype. It's a hype you would expect. Um, not saying there weren't some grifters. Then obviously there there always are. But oh, there's a it was not of- as bad. It was not as bad with blockchain. Oh, I I disagree. Okay. I think the people you're following probably don't promote the scam NFT, the scam coins that were put out there. But there was a ton of scam coins put out there, especially with with TikTok and YouTube and all these influencers that were promoting them. Um, there was just a ton of them. Yeah, and they were just fly by night, just pump and dump schemes, and and then all of those transitioned to NFTs as soon as as soon as NFTs became a a, a, voca- a verb in our vocabulary or a noun in our vocabulary. Sorry. Yeah, and and so I, I you know I've read a couple of these articles about Salesforce's NFT cloud. Of course, it's a cloud. Did you know that it's, it's a cloud? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a cloud. Did I say that already? It's a cloud. Um, it's a cloud on top of a cloud, right? Because it's it's on top of the the Bitcoin cloud or the uh, blockchain cloud. Yeah. Well, and, and that so actually that's what got me thinking. I'm like, okay, what what happened to the Salesforce blockchain cloud? became nft cloud <laughs> well I, I mean they still have trail there's there are trailheads on it and i sure. asked in our slack earlier i was uh, you know hey is this can you can you get this is this an actual cloud or a product or something i can i can buy or get somehow and, and my second question is was it ever was it ever just like thundercloud mm. from the good old thundercloud did you get a response on that um just just like joke responses um <laughs> N- n- the no. joke responses probably speak louder than words, though. It's kind of one of those things where just nobody knows. But uh, I think you had said this about blockchain, that it was a technology trying to find a problem or trying to find a solu- solution or something. Or I forgot the wordage, but it's just like it wasn't it didn't exist to solve a problem. It existed. It's trying to find problems to be used for or something. I don't remember well, how worded it. And a lot of the a lot of the. I would say oh, not necessarily not not necessarily loudest, but legitimate kind of voices. It really, have, I mean, I would say in the past six months, the tide has really turned against blockchain as this solution for all kinds of problems. I mean, there's a lot of of the kind of thought lords out there saying that the blockchain really is a solution looking for a problem for like ninety nine point nine percent of things. Yeah, I mean, it kind of works for cryptocurrency, but. For typical corporate problems, it's – I don't know. It uh, doesn't seem to be materializing like some people hoped. I just feel like NFT is even worse. So anyway, I went back and looked for the for the Salesforce blockchain to see, okay, well, how is it related to the NFT thing? Is it still around? And it turns out that um, the guy that's pumping up the, the Salesforce NFT cloud, his name is um, Adam Kaplan. Okay, he's SVP of Emerging Technology at Salesforce. So he's out there pumping up NFT cloud. Um, he was the same guy pumping up the blockchain cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you can, in fact, I'd, I recorded this ten-minute interview he did with some weird thing that looked like a news show. It was called like Blockchain Today or something like that. <laughs> it's like a fake news set and typical kind of fake news bumper music and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it was just in someone's basement. Um, but, you know, and it was interesting because I wanted to pull some clips. I really didn't have time. Uh, but but it was all just, they're all just joke clip. They'd all be just jokes. It's like everything that he was saying. It's like, yeah, that's what everyone was saying. And that's no, that they're still saying basically the same thing now, but it's about NFT instead. Right. But anyway, this guy Adam Kaplan is interesting. He was um, he was the CEO of Model Metrics, which was like this consulting company that Salesforce bought like ten years ago. 
he still at Salesforce, just he is shilling, uh, you know, va- clouds. What are clouds made of? Water vapor. He's literally shilling vaporware. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got not a couple. There's like that. What's that? I said not bad. I'll give yeah, you yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'll be here all week. Anyway, so I didn't do plenty of clips, but I, there are a couple of quotes here from this. I was just going to read. So, NFT Cloud, this is this is Adam Cap, Adam Kaplan. NFT Cloud is all about helping our customers mint, manage, and sell NFTs. And, of course, it's all no code. It's awesome. That's the, that's the most important part, right? Yeah. <laughs> so can, it's, I, can I put a flow on it? I'm sure you can. Can, so, I, can I put it into Slack? Uh, absolutely. Slack, we're Slack first, flow first, mobile first, API first, John. There you go. Uh, sustainable first. Yeah. Which is actually controversial here no i'm serious (laughs) yeah we'll get into that i said so it's super easy on our platform abstracting all the complicated technology in in this new web3 world now of course we laugh at this but i mean that's assuming there's actual demand for nft i don't know how hard it is to do nfts i mean who is it oh is it oasis what's the no what's the company that has like almost all the market share um nft it's like there's like a a marketplace or whatever oasis i don't don't remember i forget um but you know i mean if the if nft is one of these things that's like super difficult and you got to you know drop down to the terminal and do all this you know open ssl stuff to whatever and salesforce can you know charge a bunch of money for it and make it a little bit easier okay so there's there's always a market for that kind of stuff yeah putting what do we call it like bump it's like bumper the bumper bowling of enterprise computing yeah (laughs) that's what people want they just want they just want to sell their their uh their sad little pictures and have someone host it for them. Yeah. No one wants to actually build it. Cause then they have to pay the developer. No one wants to pay the developer. Well, it depends. I mean, if the developer can build you something and you got this great thing that doesn't have, we're, we're talking about terrible recurring talking about drifting here. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's, then he says, it's all about driving engagement and communities and we're, which Salesforce is good at. And we're super passionate. Oh no, sorry. We're seeing super passionate communities in the NFT space. Yeah. Adam, those are called grifters. <laughs> Just so you know, uh, it's all about utility and, and what we mean by utility is as an NFT holder, I receive certain benefits. It could be something in the digital world or it could be something in the physical world, right? Okay. So, and that's, that part I understand. I kind of understand it's some kind of like proof of ownership of, of something. The, the thing is though about NFTs, which always interesting is always interesting to me is sure. You can have an NFT that, that is linked to your you know your x.5 one answer certificate or whatever that shows you you know someone said that you owed some something mm-hmm. but there has to be someone on the, on the other side that's actually cares about this pr- and in and, and honors this proof of ownership and that's also part of the, the grift as well is that, and, and because it, it, the initial scam was you get this this image or this this thing this property yeah, but then but then people are like, well, it's just virtual. It doesn't mean anything, and so that so in order to entice people even further, they started creating these kind of real life benefits to it. Like you get access to this, or you get access to that, or you get you know whatever something tangible to go along with it. Well, do you remember when? Um, I don't know when this would have been, uh, but there was there was in, in the United States there was legislation that officially acknowledged and set standards around. Dig, uh, around um, e-signing mm-hmm. and then you have the explosion of all these e-signing things and you know before you know it you're, you're e-signing everything right but it took you know a, literally an act of congress to to, to uh you know p- 
put the legal statute, statutory framework in place so that businesses and banks and everyone could feel comfortable that this was something that would hold up in courts. Right. You, you couldn't say, oh, well, that's, you know, sure, I might have clicked a button that said I ain't signed it, but that's, I, that's not really signing. That doesn't count. Well, right. no, it does count now because Congress says it counts. Um, I feel like we need something like that for NFT, if NFTs are going to be a serious thing. Well, that, because that's also been a criticism of it is that it that blockchain and nfts by nature are unregulated and thus the, the legal the legalness of them is very vague that's true um although i think what gave the cryptocurrencies a little bit made it uh, they don't have this problem as much is that by definition whatever that cryptocurrency is trading at it, it is acknowledged and valued by people on the other side sure I mean, if people are willing to pay $30,000 for a Bitcoin right now, that's all. That's really all that matters. But with NFTs, it's it's like, I don't know. There's something about it I don't understand. Anyway, let's see. Um, okay, so he said that could be receiving as far as like what the benefits or rights are with, that you have with an, with an NFT. It could be receiving a new type of clothing every quarter in exchange for owning an NFT. Or in a game environment, you might get special powers that non-NFT owners can't access. I mean, that's interesting, too. Like, you could, I mean, let's say you buy a license or some kind of feature in a game. Mm-hmm. It, could, it could be represented as an NFT. That's what they would like to get you to spend more money. I mean, it's kind of like a JWT in a way, Jason, or Jason Web Token. Or some people call them JOTs, which I don't, I don't approve of that pronunciation. <laughs> it's not a JOT. What about JWIT? That makes it sound like a, a, a nimwit. Is that a word? Nimwit? Nimwit, I think so. Dimwit? Dimwit. dimwit. What, what's the, what other word am I thinking of? Anyway. Yeah, dwit? No. Is it that hard to say JWT? <laughs> or like Google Web Tool, people call that gwit. Gwit. Yeah. So I, I actually I actually did call them dwits. Dwits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just Not sounds, that I use them because I'm not a Java guy. sounds dweeby. I read them and my head is dwit. Yeah. Uh, while some may question the ethical and ecological impact of selling these assets, including a group of 400 Salesforce employees who sent a protest letter to co-CEOs Mark Benioff and Brett Taylor in February, Kaplan insisted they were doing it in a way that is consistent with the Salesforce values. Yeah, they're going to buy a bunch of trees. Because that makes it all better, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to help our customers assess whether there is a viable path forward with NFT technology in a sustainable and ethical manner. Okay, and this article also mentions, okay, it's in 2018, Salesforce announced it was working on a blockchain product. And in 2019, it introduced a blockchain development tool. Let's go back and look at this. Uh, it is not something that you hear about uh, anymore. But there is a training program on Salesforce blockchain on, on the company's Trailhead training site. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I guess it's uh, it's like a hurry up and wait thing because like, I think the NFT cloud is a closed pilot, which means it ain't ready and we don't want people to actually see it. But they want to make news on it or make you know, bank on it. What have we always said, John, on this show? Um, it's either that or we can recycle the pay. We, we fixed our pay equity thing again. We, yeah. that, but that one's that one's a perennial. That one is a, a perennial favorite. It works every time. Yeah. You know what's wrong with the carbon neutral thing and the, and the planting the trees? Is that it's not environmentally neutral. Because all those trees require water. You remember California's big issue with, well, with, with rain, the, but no, I think they're. I don't think they require irrigation. They require water, but not irrigation. Oh, they require irrigation. Maybe, maybe they're, they're, they're basically plant creating these kind of farms of trees so they can plant them and say, "Yes, someone bought some carbon here." 
like California had a big issue because of, of how popular things like almond milk and things were getting oh, yeah. that they were, it was, it was depleting their water supply. Yeah. Almonds, almonds require an inordinate amount of yeah. water. So I'm just saying, yeah, still has an impact. Well, so speaking of kind of the, the ESG and the, the sustainability grift, did you see the Deutsche Bank news was last week? No. CEO of their, of their, um, their, oh, what is it? It's DWS. It's, I guess it's Deutsche's asset management group or whatever. But anyway, CEO had to step down. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, German officials have been investigating reports and a whistleblower's allegation that DWS had exaggerated the green credentials of the investments it sold, a practice known as greenwashing. Mm. It's, and it's hard when you people talk about, oh, we're going to do blockchain and NFT in a, in a carbon Green neutral way. way. That's like, yeah. ooh, okay, you're going to have to really explain to me how this is not greenwashing. Yeah. Because it's just hard for me to wrap my head around. DWS has repeatedly denied that it misled investors. Uh, on Tuesday, G- German prosecutors said that uh, sufficient factual evidence has emerged to show that environmental, social, and governance ESG factors were taken into account in a minority investments, but were not taken into account at all in most in a large number of investments, contrary to statements in DWS fund sales perspective. That's the thing. Everyone, you have to play the NFT game now. Not the NFT, sorry. ESG. I probably have to play mm-hmm. both, actually. Uh, Get an NFT for Well, ESG. because like if you're not if you don't have a good ESG score, then the problem is is uh, all of these uh, hedge funds and index funds and everything, none of them will invest none of them will buy your, your stock. Of course you then have famous things like what was it uh, Tesla got kicked off of the out of the ESG and they replaced or then like they added Exxon or one of these big oil companies. It was Chevron. <laughs> Chevron. <something>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of grifts, John. Yeah. It's kind of funny that uh, the way Elon responds to some of this is almost Trump-like. That he just kind of he's just kind of unfiltered. Just says, "What the hell, man?" <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, that's I hear what you're saying. He's he's a little Trumpy, but he's all, I feel like that's also not fair at all. That's I not know. fair. I, it's, <laughs> it's not fair because that's still it's <laughs> yeah. just just that kind of unhinged thing. It's it's rare because so many of us out here who would love to be just as unhinged can't because we're trying to protect our careers. Well, and um, I think the thing that's Trumpy about about Elon is that he just goes directly to the people. Sure. And that was, I mean, Trump kind of invented that in terms of presidential politics. Well, I think that that was true of, of what the original inception, or at least the way we all used social media at the beginning, was we just kind of put our thoughts out in the world unfiltered. And to a certain extent, that was a bad idea. And you have to kind of learn how to somewhat be prudent with it. <laughs> but at the same yeah. time, I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where the censorship is kind of kind of making people not so honest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, maybe, maybe we should welcome uh, an era of renewed, you know, filtering. So you, we went, we've gone through this whole thing of oversharing and people not treating other people like decent human beings because they can't, it's not tangible. They, they can't see them. They're not in the room with yeah. them. You know, I think I would definitely welcome so we all people, turn into trolls. people, you know, mm-hmm. rediscovering their civility a yeah. little bit and re- and remembering their, their, their manners that their mom taught them, you know? Yeah. Cause a lot of the things that these people say now, I'm sure their mom would not be happy with what they're saying. <laughs> well, maybe they're rebelling against their, their, I, their strict upbringing. I, I think that about that a lot nowadays. I think, okay, what if 
my parents were to see this? And what if my kids were to read this? Like, would I be proud of how I'm behaving? Yeah, your kids dig up your old TikTok videos and they're like, well, I don't even know what TikTok what is, is, John. It's just videos. Well, I don't, my kids aren't into that yet. I know yours are. But no, they're not. They're not. I don't okay. let them. Okay. Well, yeah, no. Good for you. It's, it's a bit of a cesspool. Yeah. Well, I can keep going. Do you want to sprinkle some of your. Uh, oh, was that, was that it on the greenwashing? I thought, th- I think that whole topic is interesting because I, 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 I have studied this for a long time. Not studied, study, but I've, I kept, I keep on this news because I find it hypocritical that people make themselves feel good about recycling, especially plastics and things like that, when it doesn't go anywhere. In fact, and because there's no viable industry for it and there's no easy way to separate it. So, like all these plastics, all these numbers that, that dictate how recyclable something is, someone has to physically sort that. There's no technology like a magnet or anything or size or weight or anything that can filter that stuff out. So what happens? They just collect it all and they dump it and they put it on a boat to some third world country. Used to be China, but now we've had to find other places to to stick it. Yeah, well, we literally were sending all of our – not all – a lot of our recycling to China, so they would burn it for us. Well, they, used <laughs> they weren't to, recycling it. They, they were used to. It. They they initially did start recycling, but then it got to the point where there was so much of it because it's not just the United States sending it. It's yeah. everyone in the world who's trying to recycle sending it there. And it became to the point where the profit and ecological impact just, just the skewed so much that they just started not receiving it anymore. So they first tried to actually do something. They They took it all and they had people to sort it. And then they got to the point where they're like, nah, screw it, we'll just burn it. Then they got to the point where, okay, this is causing our environment some issues, so let's not do it. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think we need an honest conversation about recycling, but it's you're, you're not going to get it. No. You're not going to get honest conversations in any of these topics we've just talked about to, so far today. <laughs> That's true. Because, yeah, it's like, let's do the things that actually make sense. Yeah. But that's not what the goal is, and I'm whispering like a weirdo. And it's fine that that there's a real problem with recycling, and it's fine that there's a real problem with this. It's just that, that what bugs me is the virtue signaling. That like, oh, I put my plastic in this bin, which makes I do. You, oh, it makes you feel good, right? It makes you feel good. Yeah. I'm such a good person. Oh my god, they put plastics in their thing. Oh my god, it's just it's, it's like I drink out of aluminum bottles. Well, from what I understand, they're not that recyclable either. Yeah, that or the amount of energy to recycle it is is has an impact on itself. Yeah, I try to do smart things. Like, I like to have the rule that really, like, no, no organic material. I want to say organic. I mean, something that grew some, you know, animal products, plant products, whatever. They don't leave the property. So they can, you can return all that right to the soil. It doesn't need to be shipped to a landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, what else do I do? I had something else in my mind. I don't know. There's smart things. Oh, like you don't need to water your yard three times a week unless you, ha- unless you live in, unless you have completely sandy soil. Like once a week is completely fine. Even in hot ass Texas, one, one inch once a week, you'll have great grass. You don't need to water three, four times a week. It just, half of it evaporates when you do that. You know, yeah. there, there are just, if you just think a little bit, there are smart things, but yeah, the fact that we ship, you know, all this stuff supposedly to our recycling center and most of it doesn't get really recycled. It just gets thrown away. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but I mean, th- those are things that we, we have to acknowledge in- instead of just with these platitudes of I planted a tree or it's recyclable like Apple and they're, 
100% recyclable machine things that they force us to buy every year <laughs> buy a new phone buy a new phone what happens to the old one well we got to melt it down no, actually, and create a bunch of pollution to get all the, the precious metals out of it they, they, and, no the main thing is that, that that phone will go to someone else who will use it i hope so yeah i hope that's that's what it is and then eventually when it's no longer usable um then yeah they, there's recycling i don't know it's it's how hard to tell what who's doing a good job of this and who's not i know it is because everyone plays the the grift game and mm-hmm. And they're they're enabled by the whole system, and so you can't really tell who's doing a good job and who's not. You can't believe the ESG scores. That's that's just the big. That's the system. They're well, yeah, all in you on just, it. You just buy the credits from the right kind of companies, <laughs> and there you go. Carbon offsets, yeah. or uh, remember the cap cap and trade, or it's like. <laughs> I make two billion off of polluting the air, but I can buy credits for a hundred thousand. Yeah, I'll just offset it all. Yeah. Anyway, we. Sh- I don't feel like this is a productive topic for us, John. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not something I spend a lot of time. Like, tr- it's just frustrating for me. So I don't spend a lot of time. You know, uh, that's probably why it's always on my mind because it's frustrating. Because yeah. I, because it's it's made it into commercials. It's made it to how people sell things and and how they promote things. And so it really bugs me. It bugs me to no end. So yeah. it's always in my face. Yeah. But anyways, let's move on before we start getting on. complaints, John. Um, we can start getting uh, more one-star reviews. It's about Salesforce. <laughs> kind of. They have right. an ESG score, don't they? Hey, did you watch the Apple event? Because I didn't, so I don't even really... I forgot, and then I watched it afterwards. Okay. Um, but I, I did a lot of skipping on it, mm. un- unfortunately. It, it, it was... It's skip, inter- you skip past all the ESG stuff? <laughs> So you haven't you haven't watched any of the clips I, at all? I um I started watching. I got about maybe ten minutes in, and I had to stop. So they started getting really cute with their little videos here. There's a lot of costume changes and a lot of kind of things like that. But there was one they still that they just, do a good job of it. There's one that had me laughing out of my chair literally, and I I had to skip it back and watch it again. And that that's when um oh, what's his name the guy with the cool hair, Froggy Craig Froggy uh, uh, Federighi Federighi. Um, one of his transitions was he starts running and they do this kind of slow-mo run and he's, he's got this great hair Yeah, and he just kind of brushes it yep. and the, everything's in the wind that had me laughing. And that was like the best part of okay. it. All the other costume changes and things I thought thought were kind of gimmicky yeah. and cheesy, but I think they're supposed to be it. a little, they're supposed to be kitschy. Campy. Yeah. yeah. Campy. Or something. Yeah. But they, they still do a good job. Yeah. Yeah, like but they, I, I felt like they spent more time on the fluff and less about talking about the technology. Well, that's like what you do. That's what you do, do when you don't have a lot to talk about. You, yeah, you, and that, that's kind of that was kind of my feeling. I was leading up to that and saying that I, there wasn't really too much to show. There wasn't too much to show in the last release, uh, last lineup of iOS or OS releases, and they even said it said it outright that it was kind of more of a um, maintenance and you know cleaning up the back end type release. Um, what is was the current release? I don't even know. I'm so. Of of iOS, yeah, um, Monterey. That's what it is. Oh, that's not iOS, right? No, no, iOS is like fifteen or something 15, like yeah. that. But yeah, Monterey's so, the current one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this one, there's some some there's some new things, but it's 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 a, it's again, it's just an evolution of the of the current technology. There's nothing really new or mind blowing that I thought I'd get to see. I thought we'd start to see some new things for augmented reality or VR and things like that. But it was mainly just kind of productivity stuff. Hey, whatever happened to the um. The uh, metaverse. Speaking of that, it's still going. Did it already come and go? <laughs> it's uh, it's it's chugging along. It's just not doing well. It's one of those things that we keep we keep trot we trot out VR about every four or five years and try to try to resuscitate it and get it going again. Yeah, crank it up. 
I just think it's it's one of those technologies that was announced too early. I don't I don't know why they they should have had something more tangible than they had now, which is basically just like a a, a chat room and, and a couple of other things. I don't think it was anything. Second Life all over again. Yeah, there's nothing really tangible or revolutionary about it. So I, I don't I don't I, and it seems to be the norm these days with technology companies. They're announcing things way too early um, before they have a, an actual product. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a bad trend in the industry that has to kind of get reversed and they should really start keeping this under the lid until they have something that's ready to go. And, and that's one of my complaints with Salesforce too. It's like some of these technologies, yeah, it's great that we're seeing them and we're getting them. Um, and, and on the surface, I get it. You want to get it out there and get people's real world feedback on it, but the technology is just not ready and it just ends up being more frustrating than anything, um, to use kind of like the way lightning or aura was rolled out was really painful because you were getting in bits and pieces. It was evolving. And some of the things were, were some of the things were breaking changes. And then you, then because aura was so early, they transitioned to lightning and it's just, it's just one of those things where it, it, it just, it just came out too early. Oh, then there's, but there's the whole, if you, you know, if you release your thing and you don't get a bunch of complaints about it, you waited too long to release it as well. I mean, that might be true of, say the smaller guys, but the bigger guys, I think they can afford to kind of put that time and, and effort into it. Um, at, at least well-foundationed companies that, that aren't, you know, dependent on new PR to, to boost their stock. Cause that's how they exist. Oh, maybe there's, maybe they still are dependent on that, John. That's the thing. Everyone, everyone is under pressure to, you know, to perform at every level. But I, think, I think the metaverse kind of suffers from the same problem we talked about earlier, which is it's a solution trying to find a problem. I think that's the right wording as, as you put it. Um, no one's really asking for VR aside from kind of immersive entertainment. The games and stuff. Yeah. 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 No one's really asking for augmented reality. Cause I, uh, it's, we all kind of, kind of, we kind of do it with our watches and our phones. No one's really asking to have a bunch of classes that, that do it for us. It's just, well, you got the OG AR, which, which is uh, the heads up display. Do you have a heads up on your car? No, no. I'm not cool like I don't. Well, I don't recommend it anyway because as soon as you put your polarized sunglasses on, you can't see it. So I've heard that. I yeah. think you told me that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just, it's. A, I mean, I think I saw, and I meant to, I did. I didn't clip it for the show, but I think I read that uh, the CEO or the product owner of the Hololens at Microsoft is CEO. I think he's out. Hmm. I think they're pushing him out. So I'm not sure what they're doing with their their technology either. So I don't know. I just think it's one of those things that. There's a lot of buzz around. There's a lot of interest in it because the tech seems kind of cool. But what do you do with it beyond just kind of walk, just going in what? I don't know. Yeah. And, and the whole thing that got us on the topic, I saw you think about the Apple App Store, but you were really talking about 1Password. So I'm sorry. I misread that. <laughs> like, That's fine. I enjoyed that conversation. But anyway, uh, So yeah, what's the 1Password thing? So they've been working on this one for a while, right? Eight. Yeah, they, they actually released one uh, version eight for Windows first, okay. which was surprising. Um, and this is the first one that's on the the new cross platform platform, right? I think so. Yeah, um, it's what web based Node Electron stuff. I think so. I think, I think it's so. Electron. Yeah, um, I'm not really a fan of it. So, so the reason I brought this article up is because traditionally it's been on the App Store. Eight has no seven. Seven. So everything okay. up to seven has been on the App Store. Well, I think I've been on. Oh, I'm on seven. And then they yeah. released version eight, and I was like, "Well, how come I'm not getting the update? Because I have it installed through the App Store. In fact, my subscription is through the App Store." And so I, I waited a couple of weeks. I was like, "And oh, that to happen. Sometimes they release it, 
you know, for download, but then it takes a while because Apple has to review it and confirm it. And then I, I was like, oh, well, I'm not seeing it. So I did a search and what came up was one of their forum posts of someone asking, Hey, why isn't it on the app store yet? Mm-hmm. And the response from, from one of their PR people or one of their team members was one perhaps one password eight for Mac. Isn't it currently available in the Mac app store? Instead, you can download the app directly through our website. Mm. Um, so they could talk about, um, there's no need. Let's see. We are always interested to learn how you how we can best meet our customers' needs. Could you please provide us with a little context on why you would like to see one password eight in the Mac app stores versus downloading it direct from the website? And the reason that piqued my interest is it kind of seems like they never planned on putting it on the app store. Well, don't don't they have to pay Apple if they do that? The the, the cut, right? They well, probably- they do, but they even say if if you're they're not saying change how you're paying for one password. Because uh, one part I skipped over was that if you if you're subscribed through the App Store, just you can still download the app, and your subscription will still continue to pay through through Apple Pay. It's just you'll start getting updates directly. Yeah. So I think there's a few problems with the App Store, and that is because they switched their technology to kind of be this electron based, and because they have such tight integration with um, the OS, I think there's some things that probably Apple mm-hmm. won't approve. Yep. And so that's why they're kind of just they just kind of just said we're not going to put it on the App Store. Uh, and trying to see what the community feedback is. And, and this thread goes on for five or so pages of people going, hey, I really want it on the App Store. That's how I that's how I manage my apps. That's how I maintain my apps. And for some people, that's how they distribute apps to, to users as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. App Store, not everything can go on the App Store. Yeah. And they do have some nice new features, some CLI integrations and things like that that will let you... So, like, if you're a terminal guy and you're using Git and you need to create... Um, uh, you need to authenticate through that. It has some hooks built in for that. I think it has some kind of SH token generation thing as well. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's got some new features that make it attractive. But I think I think some of the some of the architecture decisions aren't easily approved approved through the App Store, and that's why yeah. they've kind of been avoiding it. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how the App Store evolves because I think there's more and more cases like this where. Um, because of Apple's kind of strict rules in terms of what your app can and can't do when it's put on the App Store, of whether or not that'll push people away from it. Also, the kind of percentage they take, although I think there's some changes to that, which I haven't been following, but I've been hearing, like, I think the the, the European Union has kind of knocked Apple on their kind of uh, monopoly on the, on the whole payment processing thing. So I think that's going to be opened up soon, or at mm. least you have other options. So I don't know. It's, it's space to watch, I think. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, this this article on like poor quality software, I guess, is what it was, was really interesting. Um, I don't know if we need to make sure we put that in the show notes. It's it really talks about and there's oh, what is the um, oh man, there's a it's because I don't think it's in this article, but there's a um, a concept. It was a, I think it was originally a Fred Brooks thing, um, but it really talked about how oh, I wish I could remember the name of it, but these you know large projects end up, you know, people keep adding complexity to them because everyone, I think it's a human nature thing. We got to know everyone keeps wanting more, their features, more and more features, you know, and then it just gets to the point that it's either got to go through a massive rewrite or you just actually abandon it and start over with something simple. And it's just like this cycle. God, I wish I could remember the name of it. Anyway. Uh, I ran across this on Hacker News, but it's uh, this guy, Nolan Nolan Lawson, on his blog. He says, at some point, 
it's talking about these apps or any really any complex things. He's not even really talking about apps at this point. At some point, the morass they built up becomes so dysfunctional and unwieldy that the only solution is collapse, as in a rapid decrease in complexity, usually by abolishing the old system and starting from scratch. It's funny. I think we both clicked that same same article. Oh, really? Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. And anyone who's worked in the tech industry for long enough, especially at larger organizations, has seen it. A legacy system exists. It's big, it's complex, and no one fully understands how it works. Architects are brought in to, quote, fix the system. Mm -hmm. They might wheel out a big whiteboard showing a lot of boxes and arrows pointing at other boxes and inevitably – sounds like a flow, actually. Inevitably, their solution is to add more boxes and arrows. Sounds like a flow. No one can subtract from the system. Everyone just adds. Right. This might go on for several years. At some point, though, an organizational shakeup probably occurs, a merger, a reorg, a polite release of some senior executives to go focus on their painting hobby for a while. A new band of architects is brought in, and their solution to the big diagram of boxes and arrows problem is much simpler. Draw a big red X through the whole thing. The old system is sunset or deprecated. The haggard veterans who worked on it either leave or are reshuffled to other projects, and a fresh-faced team is brought in to blessedly design a new system from scratch. Thoughts so far? No, it all makes sense. I I might have clipped a different article, but it's from the same blog because mine was about the, the the collapse of complex software. And and that kind of deals... That's exactly what we're talking about. Okay, okay. Probably the same article. It was the same guy, Nolan Lawson. Yeah, same yeah, guy. I'm sure yeah. it's got to be the same article. I think this really made the rounds. I think and I, th- I think what I took from it was kind of just the, the creep of complexity. You know, you start with a very simple solution. You start with your, your kind of MVP product, and then feature creep just comes in. Everyone wants it to do something specific to what they need. Um, and And that obviously adds complexity. And because there's those dependencies, you, you can never kind of get rid of it. So you end up just adding more and more to it until you decide to cut it off and say, okay, we're starting over. It really takes some, I think, wise leadership and governance to, to prevent this. And even then, the political powers can be so strong to overwhelm that. Yeah, because I think the the – the goals of developers and the goals of people who are selling a product don't always align. I think they might align at first, but then they start to diverge. So, you know, as a software developer or an engineer or an architect, you're trying to design a system that that's simple and clean and easy to use and performs a task really well, a repetitive task really well. But someone who's selling needs needs a flash flashy new thing because they, they can't keep telling the same story. They they need something new to bring in new people or new customers or get new attention. Salesforce is a good example of that, you know, with the rebranding of things or adding all these new features and things that they're, they're just trying to sell that um, it leads to a very complex code base that that can never be undone. Yeah. Uh, Windows as well. I mean, yeah, the oh, yeah. backwards compatibility of things mm-hmm. and, and how yeah. complex it is. Um, it just from outward appearances, it always seems like Apple actually somehow does a pretty good job of this. Although they did, you know, with their, their operating system, they burned their old operating system to the ground and started over, right? So, Well, hell, I mean, they they burned the whole uh, chip architecture that started over. That's true. <laughs> and I think that just comes from them owning the entire cycle. Um, they're not dependent on, on uh, to the best of my knowledge, or at least they have enough control over the things they are dependent on that they can make these type of pivots and changes. Yeah, yeah. 
But I think they seem to do a good job of not letting complexity get out of control, that it really cripples their products. In fact, I think the big criticism against Apple is they, they oversimplify things. They take away too many features. And it's like, in some cases, I, you know, I can see that. You don't have to squint very hard to see that, that maybe they, something doesn't have enough features. It doesn't have enough knobs and sliders, right? But overall, seem, to me, it, it, it seems to work out better in general. Yeah, I see your point, but I, I, think, I think what protects them even more is their gatekeeping. So the things we talked about with the App Store, the things we talked mm-hmm. about with with the OS and the things, the APIs in the core OS that you have access to, I think there's a certain amount of gatekeeping that prevents certain things. Like everyone talks about how open Windows is and how you can do anything you want, or even Android, you can do whatever you want, and you can write whatever program you want, that, and it can reach into the OS as deep as it wants to, um, which is great. It's 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 a freedom. But it's a freedom that comes with a great amount of risk. And, and Apple is, is on the flip side of that saying, we're going to try to gatekeep and protect you as much as possible, which means there's going to be less freedom on this platform. And that's the trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you, maybe that freedom is available to you, but you have to, you know, if you're doing kernel extensions or any of these kind of things, they have to be signed and, and that requires extra user, um, what's the word? Approval. Approval, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, don't you as a seasoned senior software engineer, don't you find that one of your main jobs is productively and politely pushing back on what you know is people asking for too much? They they either can't handle it, or the project can't handle it, or they're not going to need it. Yagni. Right. Yeah, since, get, since I've since I've been developing it, software, it's been a theme. But that, don't you feel like that's a a skill that you have to invoke on a regular basis? Well, it is. I mean, since I started writing develop, since I started writing programs for users, the one theme that I've the, or the one comment I've always had is your users aren't that dumb. You know, you get these requirements from from management and and all this kind of stuff that want to treat the users as if they're the dumbest people in the world and that the system has to do everything for them. The system has to automate this and this and this and notify them a hundred different times a day about this, this and this because they're dumb and they can't do their jobs. Um, I've always found that kind of viewpoint on software um, frustrating. Yeah. And I I feel to me, that's almost a separate topic, though, although I do sympathize with that. I think it goes hand in hand because the the you don't need software to run a business. You can do it on paper and you can write forms and pass them around. Yeah, technology my, makes it easier. Tell Mark to, Benioff that. <laughs> I'm just saying technology has made it easier and more efficient to 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 move that information from one point to another or to track it or to keep it secure and things like that. So it's it's a value add on top of things that makes things easier and more productive. But you should be able to run your business without that technology. In ninety percent of the cases, don't don't slam me on this. There's there's some things that are absolutely dependent on technology, but for most most businesses, you know, running a running your your mom and pop business or you know running a distribution center or whatever, these are things that have been done historically without without computers, without technology, without all this these these um, 
hard line rules. You used to be able to kind of make exceptions. You used to be able to make a rate, write a note. You used to be able to go to talk to one and say, we have a very special use case here. Let's do this and this and, and be able to get it done. Mm-hmm. But what you're finding is more and more of these systems, they, they're, they're restricting you with all the, all the things that they, they want automated and all the things they want done. Validation rules. Yeah. <laughs> so you end up with these complex systems of knobs and switches and things, um, and they're locked in. Okay. And so that's phase one. Yeah. You're locked in. Mm. And then companies are going, well, crap, I don't want to be locked in. My business changes. So I want to be able to change these knobs and, and switches and add new knobs and switches. So then you have the advent of Salesforce and visual force and lightning web components. And so now you can, and flows and now you can customize it and do whatever you want. Well, now you're creating all these new things and they're changing, but there's no cleanup or at least there should be, but there's, there's all this legacy stuff that exists. There's all these things that exist in the system that, that weren't there before. And you just kind of keep building on top of that. And it just, it just grows into a monster. Yeah. All right. I'm going to finish this out here. So, okay. Uh, then he says it, it takes a lot of discipline to resist complexity and to say no to new boxes and arrows to say, no, we won't solve that problem because it will just introduce 10 new problems that we haven't even imagined yet. That, that takes, that takes skill. That yeah. that that type of wisdom is is hard fought wisdom. Is that the right term? Well, I mean those, those you've are, been through it because you've been through it and didn't know it was happening to you until it already happened, and then and then hopefully you learn from it, <laughs> so that the <laughs> next time you're in the, a similar situation, you recognize the situation you're in. That, that's that's when you turn into a toddler and you start asking why. Yeah, why? that's true. Well, yeah. why do you need that? Yeah. Well, why, does, why do you have to do that? Well, why do, you, why do you need to do that? And you just keep asking why until you get to the root cause. And it goes, it goes back to the Rumsfeld thing. That's like the, probably the, mo- the most valuable thing he said was, you know, what, you, what was it? It was the, um, the, the, uh, the, he had known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. And this, this, what this guy's talking about here is really he's saying – because to, to, to him, these are known unknowns. He said, we, were going, we, we will just introduce 10 new problems that we haven't imagined yet. I don't know what those 10 problems are, but I know that they're there. Yeah. And that's why everything takes longer than what's estimated. Everything does. Almost everything. Unless, it's, unless you are building something that you literally just built the exact same thing. And you're just kind of copying, pasting. Or you, you have a, you've already cleared all those mental paths on exactly what it takes to build this. Unless you're doing that your estimates are going to be wrong. True. Which is why estimates are just not a great way to run things. Okay. Uh, And he says, um, or to say, let's go with a much simpler design, even if it seems amateurish, because at least we can understand it. Or to just say, let's do less instead of more. Simplicity of design sounds great in theory, but it might not win you any plaudits from your peers. And this this is where real leadership comes in. A complex design means more teams to manage more parts of the system, more for the engineers to do, more meetings and planning sessions, maybe some more patents to file. A simple design might make it seem like you're not really doing your job. Uh, That's it. We're done. We can clock out. And when promotion season comes around, it might be easier to make a case for yourself with a dazzling new design than a boring, well-understood solution. By the way, these people that are great at managing their careers – like almost like failing up, right? Mm-hmm. They f- always fail up. They get the hell. They get their they get their promotion, or they get they switch jobs, 
before the thing comes crumbling down. And they're very good at managing their careers this way. They go in and sell the big thing. And before it completely burns down, they're out of there. They've, they've already leveraged that on their resume. Look what I did. Yeah. I had a, you know, I build, uh, you know, high performing productive teams. And, you know, we always have these successful, I've looked at all these successful products I've led projects. Yeah. By the way, I built this really cool widget for our last client. I'm out. Here's my notice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ultimately, I think whether software follows the boom and bust model or a more sustainable model will depend on the economic pressures of the organization that's producing the software. A software company that values growth at all cost, like the Romans eagerly gobbing up more and more of Gaul, will likely fall into the add complexity and collapse cycle. A software company with more modest aims that has a sustainable customer base and doesn't change much over time will be more likely will, will be more like the humble tribe that f- follows the yearly migration of the antelope and focuses on sustainable tried and true techniques. Whole new facet of the word sustainable and sustainability. Hmm. Anyway, those were the parts of it that I found interesting. Yeah, I think it speaks speaks a lot to kind of what we deal with on a daily basis, just in terms of trying to help companies transition to and and make good use of Salesforce and its many knobs and switches, but it, in a way that is useful and not detrimental. And you know what really is one of the biggest challenges, at least in our space, is the completely unreasonable pie in the sky demos. Yeah. And the, and the marketing messages that are just not reasonable. They're not realistic. The dream it and you can build it. So we're always on our heels. Is that is that the right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, so Microsoft. Uh, well, actually, I wanted to use this as kind of a segue into a kind of community topic. Uh, and maybe this can be one of our last topics. I'm not sure how we're doing on time, but uh, uh, almost an hour in. So I saw this article um, that Microsoft is no longer going to ban staff from seeking roles at competitors. So basically, they're getting rid of their kind of non-compete. I saw that. Um, they also have a non-disclosure on on internal issues. So if you had a complaint about your boss, maybe they're harassing you or something like that, they would resolve it internally. But you would also be contracted to sign yeah. a non-disclosure. Right. Like, don't air our dirty laundry, right? Um, but they're apparently going to get rid of that as well. Um, so they're going to completely try to open up, you know, they're basically saying, hey, we know you're going to, we all kind of play these games with these kind of non-competes where you kind of just kind of go away for a while and then come back. Maybe you'll like go and become an independent consultant and yeah. all of a sudden you're, you're the next VP at Google or something. <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time. It's kind of an acknowledgement that, you know, the industry the industry is small and everyone's kind of poaching from everyone else. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah, but I, I found the kind of opening up of the non-disclosure things to be interesting as well. Yeah, there was, I'm looking for this um, tweet I saw the other day. Probably not going to find it. Um, dang it. It was... Uh, it was, it was Dare. Do you know this guy, Dare Obasanjo? No. It was a really old tweet. Oh, I'll say that. It was like, I feel like a year ago. But anyway, something about, he he retweeted it, but added it with, um, about this Microsoft now basically not enforcing non-competes or they're just going to cancel them. But he, he, I think compares it to Amazon and, and, um, 
he, uh, I think, subtweeted, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, uh, Ver, uh, Werner Vogels, their CTO, I guess, is what he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of called them out because Amazon apparently, and now Amazon pays well, um, but they also have anywhere, for, it's a six to 12 month non-compete. And Werner replied to him and said, well, it's not a problem. I just knew that when I took this job, and everyone has to know this, that you're basically, when you leave, if you want to go to another tech company, you're going to have to take a six to 12 month vacation first, unpaid vacation. Yeah. He's like, everyone knows it. They also, Amazon also pays well above kind of typical market. So you got to save. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to save. Um. I just, man, it's interesting you brought this up. I've never really liked these non-competes. At our company, I do every, I've done everything I can to make our non-competes. Uh, do we have non-competes? They're, they're very minor. It's basically, we don't, you know, you're not restricted from going to work for another company. In our, even that's very competitive with us. We, we don't do that at all. You're more than welcome to. We, we want our people to, you know, to work here because they want to be here. And I, that just doesn't seem healthy to me to trap people at your company. Like, do you really think you're, they're going to be happy and they're going to do good work? Yeah. If you preventing them from going to work for any anyone else in the industry, they can't. They, they literally can't go out and and earn a living. They're kind of stuck with you, and that's that is no way to run a business, in my opinion. Yeah, it seems to me that at some point it kind of became this thing to do and everyone big and small started doing it it used to be kind of like a high level and i think in some states it is like there's certain laws that restrict you from enforcing it but it used to be kind of this high level thing that if you're going to be privy to to company ip then there would be a non-compete attached to it but then it just kind of became the de facto standard that you know you sweep the floors at amazon and you can't you can't work it anywhere else you know that's an exaggeration but yeah, I'm wondering if he. I've just scrolled through his tweets, and it's like I wonder if he deleted that for some reason. Really? No, I was not seeing it. Well, the other interesting part about this is that uh, the third thing they're going to do, and in, in terms of kind of making their employment kind of more transparent, is a. And I didn't know they didn't do this, but apparently they never post the salary of the job postings that they're they're seeking. So I guess they never put a salary range around what their developers can expect to get. Um, and so they're, apparently they're going to also start doing that as well. Which that's could a, have some ramifications in the industry as a whole. Um, yeah, that's 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 an interesting one too. I mean, I kind of like the idea of the transparency, but I mean, a lot of these companies also they're taking advantage of parts of the country that are lower. Um, they're just lower. I mean, they would say lower cost of living, mm-hmm. but really what that means is we can get we can get cheaper people. Um. But whether it's, you know, some, somewhere between the coasts or, and, you know, another part of the world, I mean, you know, your senior engineer one or whatever, that's mm-hmm. – if you just have a flat kind of salary band for that position, then when you're going to pay someone in, that lives in San Francisco the same – someone lives in Uruguay, you know? I, I think I – think- a lot of this is kind of compounded by a lot of things that have happened historically, like the equal pay movement and things like that. Um, and also just the remoteness of everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and how well prepared companies are to to have remote workers that that things like location and cost of living might not be as big of a factor anymore. And so with 
with that, the the pay bands have probably kind of equalized a bit to where it doesn't really matter. So it's not that big a deal to kind of publish and say, this is what we're offering for this role. Yeah. Because I don't need you to be sitting in a, in a seat in New York. Right. And I don't have to factor in the fact that New York costs 10 times more than, say, Montana or whatever. It's a really uh... – what does that do to people that live in expensive areas, though? It's really disadvantageous to them. I mean, if you live in a certain area, you know, you have to make X amount of dollars. And if the, if if your employer can suddenly go and get people to do what you do in cheaper areas, they're going to pay them half the amount. Like you, you can't afford to live on that. And, and a, well, I think the I think the market, or at least you as individuals, I, I think we all would have to make that decision that if if a job role only pays X amount and the X amount isn't going to sustain me from where where I live. I either move from where I live or I keep looking for a position that will sustain me. And, and that's what the economy, you know, that's what it, the economics will tell you is yeah. that people will move. People will move mm-hmm. and these things will work themselves out. Yeah. The, the problem is um, this seems to be happening pretty suddenly. And generally, you want these things to happen slowly so that people's lives aren't dramatically impacted. Yeah, it could have a really detrimental effect on, on families and people. Well, and again, I think the equality thing caused a lot of that. Um, because the, those metrics and those numbers that people were throwing out there, I don't think took into account things like, um, although even though they tried and said they did to try to justify why someone got paid a certain amount versus someone who got paid another amount, um, there's a lot that went into it. Not only your kind of negotiate your experience, your ability to negotiate, but also kind of the context of where you got hired um, and what that meant. The context of where you got hired. Well, yeah. yeah. If, you, if if I'm sitting in an office building and they know they can pay me X amount sitting in Montana. I don't know why I'm using Montana. So, yeah, Montana. <laughs> um, why do you hate Montana, John? But someone of the same position is sitting in a seat in New York. Um, and you're paying them differently because they live in New York. And you know there's a competitive market. And you have to pay people who live in New York in a certain amount because of the cost of living. Versus paying someone in Montana a certain amount, an X amount. Or Seattle. Let's use Seattle since that's where they're based. Um that could have affected the kind of the pay rate. So yeah. programming level one in New York might get paid, I don't know, 50,000. And, and in, I don't know, Montana, Montana, maybe it's uh 25,000. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just throwing numbers out. But you know, the, the, you've got to think of, okay, okay. Why does it cost what it does to live in you know expensive areas? Because there's so much demand to live there. Sure. Yeah. Um, and what we're talking about here is basically reducing the demand to live in those areas. First of all, you don't have to live in those areas to make, the big bucks anymore, but also anymore. Yeah. But also it's, it's getting harder to make the big bucks um, that you were making because, because of this location transparency thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. So that'll just reduce demand for people to live there. It's like, well, if I'm, I moved there to get my high paying job, but now that I don't have my high paying job anymore, I can't really afford the rent. So I'm just going to move to somewhere. I'm going to move to somewhere where I, I can, I can live the same kind of lifestyle and, and my income is more correlated to my, to my sure. costs. And we're seeing that with the younger generation. Hell, some of them don't even have well, homes. They're, look, they're doing this van life thing. Look at the uh, look at the um, real estate prices around here in Texas now uh, through COVID, through the pandemic. Yeah, uh, they've doubled. Well, I think they're going down because I think interest rates went up. I heard, but that that'll that that could really affect things yeah. actually. So I think yeah. they're coming down. But I haven't yeah. seen anything go down yet. But I think the 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 heat is starting to cool down a little bit. But yeah, yeah I mean we I mean things in a lot of these areas. Home prices have almost doubled in like three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that's happening in New York. 
or San Francisco. Maybe it is. I don't, I don't, I don't pay attention to real estate that much, but I mean, I suspect that a lot of it's because people are leaving these expensive areas for, for actually lots of different reasons. It's a complex thing. It's I think not- they're leaving, but I also think the kind of the new workforce, the younger generation is coming into it with the, the mindset of I can work from anywhere, you know, yes. and I'm going yeah. to work from anywhere. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, putting up roots in, in some rural area or just being a nomad. It's, it's just the new mindset. Yep. Uh, yeah. But that segues into kind of this community topic that was brought up to us. And this was a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't get a chance to get it. Um, this is anonymous. And even though this sounds like it's a recruiter asking for this information, they're not a recruiter. I know who this is. Um, I'll, I'll kind of read what they say. I don't believe the salaries I see on Glassdoor or even the surveys from Mason Frank um, that the SFDC, D, FXD Discord did some sort of survey that I liked a few years ago, but I never saw the results and I can't find it anymore. Um, I'd love to know what the GDS community is making in an anonymous survey. Some mm. questions I think would be cool to see are uh, admin versus developer at various different levels and architectures, years of experience, um, salary rates, compensation, whether or not you're, you're a consultant or ISV, uh, government, private sector, etc. Goes on to say, I feel like I personally am pretty grossly overpaid and we are living in a bubble but looking at sites Save like money. Save money. <laughs> looking at sites like Blind and seeing Fang, uh, F A A N G, software engineers regularly talk about 500k plus total comp, humbles me a bit. Um, and I, I did kind of do some research to kind of find some of those Mason Frank surveys and kind of see what those salary rates are. So I can I can do a comparison of what they wore. But I mean, what's your impression of being feeling like you're grossly overpaid? Because obviously the demand for at least Salesforce developers and even admins is continuing to be pretty high, which means companies have to kind of have very generous benefit packages. Yeah. Well, all you have to do is look at how Mason Frank makes money. How do they make money, John? I'm assuming by putting candidates in front of a company. Uh, They make money by companies hiring the candidates they brought to them. And they, the amount of money they make is proportional to the salary. Of that mm. person. So what is Mason Frank's incentive to convince everyone about salaries? Well, to be as high as possible. Yes. Okay. So I don't I it, everyone I've ever talked to about this Mason Frank salary report thinks it's inflated. Ever. Um, that being said, I know people who are working for these fang companies um, that uh they, they they do have now of course those are those are gonna be the, the outliers. Those are and, you know, it's hard to get – they kind of take the, a lot of the best people, but they do pay them. You know, they're, they're, they're outliers for sure. So mm-hmm. it's not going to – they're going to be above the average. Sure. Um, but you can't deny that, that a software developer makes more than, say, a .NET developer. Wait. A software developer makes more than a .NET a developer? Salesforce developer. Sorry. I, I Honestly, I haven't looked at the data. I don't know. Um, oh, I have. Okay. Yeah, I don't <laughs> – I told you I've been trying to get out of this Salesforce world, and I can't. Yeah. I'm I am well too entrenched, not only uh, knowledge and experience wise, well, but also salary you, wise. It's where I mean, you've been in the space for 15 years. That's where if you were in the .NET space for 15 years, you know, you'd be all entrenched in some .NET thing with with in demand skills too. It's just like you're not there. It's just it's extremely hard to switch. I mean, it's it's a matter of supply and demand, just like anything else. <clears throat> and you're right. .net, if, is still, senior, .net is hot, man. It's uh, all it's still hot. I know, I know. A senior Java and a senior .net can command command a good price, but um, given that I've been doing this for 15 years, I'm I feel like if I went back into .net, 
I'd pretty much be starting at the intermediate level, not yeah. senior level, just because of my lack of uh, to show uh, anything to show in the last 10 years. For right. It. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where my mindset is, is that, well, if I, if I was to go that route, um, I'd take a huge drop in salary. Mm hmm. Uh, but even then, I mean, even even with our, some of our listings, I mean, our, our generous list, our listing on our posting is is generous for a senior developer. Mm. And even yeah. then, it's it's still been a hard posting to fill. Yeah, it's funny because we we have professionals that services that we that we use to consult with us on recruiting and hiring on like stuff, and they they almost all recommend to not. I, and I, I don't know. I don't really agree with this. To not show um, salaries on job postings. I wonder why that is. I don't know because a lot of these uh, there's there's uh, like people I follow on Twitter who are supposedly like also like um, not not recruiters but they're more um, and they seem to be way more plugged in and just reasonable people but uh, into like um, helping people get jobs and stuff. They're, they're kind of recruiters but not really. But um, I saw this one piece that this guy wrote. It was like a blog post about how to just have more effective job ads, I guess, is what it was. And one of the things was you absolutely need to post what it pays. Yeah. I mean, the downside I is, like, this... I guess, you know, some people might, some, someone might look at it and say, you know, on the one hand, say, oh, well, that looks too low. And then someone else might look at it and say, oh, my gosh, that's so much more than I'm making right now. There's no way I can get that job. I'm not even going to apply. I'm, I'm not sure. qualified just based on the fact that it's maybe a lot higher than what the person makes. So it can really, it can really cut against you as an, as a, as an employer. Yeah. I was, I was going to mention that part of it. Cause I think a lot of the way you post ads and the way you post job listings, there's, there's a certain amount of, of a psychological battle you're trying to, you're trying to have, you're, you're trying to limit the people who apply, but you're also trying not to pre disqualify people just by, by the way, the posting is balance. listed. It's, it's yeah. really, it's, it goes back to the whole like type, type one errors and type two errors. But I think going back to our conversation with Microsoft opening up the kind of job salary and, and kind of the new economy of of things being more transparent because people are so remote that that the, that the position, the variability of salaries is almost becoming a non thing in order to facilitate equality. You're going to have people leaving cities in droves. Yeah. Well, I think the case. cities will adjust. I mean, I they hope will, the cost of living yes. in that city will will start to come down yeah. as the demand comes down. It's just going to suck for anyone who has bought property in these cities. Sure. Especially yeah. on relatively kind of thin cash flow um, projections. That's the, that's the gamble with investing. It is. Inve investing in all forms is, is somewhat of a gamble because yeah. you're, you're counting on, some, on your investment going up, not down. What do you do right now, John, when um, you have to make 10% on your investments just to, just to not lose money due to inflation? I don't know. Grab a pillow and cry into it. Scream into it. I guess that's. I guess that's the wrong podcast for that question. <laughs> <laughs> I I am so. In some ways, I'm behind because I haven't I haven't managed my investments at all. In fact, a lot of my um, retirement savings is actually sitting in cash right now. Mm, that's bad. It is I bad, know. but with the fluctuations in the market, I I'm know. kind of like, oh well, I guess I kind of dodged that bullet, but. I'm also not gener I'm not also in the long term not generating. So there's it, it's it's a gamble and it and there's risk to it and it it's it's tough to to manage. It's like you know you got someone that's shooting bullets at you and another one that's about to whack you with a machete. And like you have to pick which yeah, you have to let one exactly. of these hit you. Which one's gonna which one are you gonna let attack you? And it's yeah. Like, well, they're both really terrible options. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't really have any answers. I don't think you're, well, I don't know. There are people who have answers, but. But I also but, think that, that we, that, and I mean, yeah, this is not the right place for this conversation, but <laughs> I'm going to continue and say that, that we as a country have gotten real spoiled. Um, because we've, we've outsourced so much of our manufacturing and things oh, to, yeah. to, to other countries yep. mm-hmm. for the, for the purpose of keeping our cost of living down. Well, that, cause we were told that was a great national strategy. Yeah. And which it was, I mean, we got, no, it wasn't, it was not, well, it, it was, it was great in the short term because we, we became consumers and, and at the, at the lowest level of our, of our, uh, of our economy, people could consume things. They could, they could afford to buy things. Yeah. I mean, you could buy a TV for 300 bucks off Amazon. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is that, it, it, it came at a cost. We were not producing things locally anymore. No. And we're at a strategic disadvantage significantly, yeah. like national security advantage, disadvantage. And, and in order to correct that, that means bringing things back here. And that's going to, that's going to affect our, our, our cost of living as well uh, across the board. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's, it's a definitely a, it's like putting duct tape, using duct tape for as a bandaid. It's going to hurt like hell when it, when you have to rip it off. I will never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm bleeding out. <laughs> mm. All right, John. Well, I saw you have this thing about single page applications. Is that interesting before we wrap up? Um, not really. It was just kind of more philosophical waxing on the, the pros and cons and the transition away from SPAs into, into MPAs. And, oh, what's MPA? Know, Multiple, multi, oh, multi-page applications. Oh, I yeah. call that a website. <laughs> 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 I also, when I was reading that, I was like, is Salesforce an SPA now? No. Yes, it is. And I was like, yeah. well, technically no, but technically yes. Well, and it's it's mainly a single page application. There's also this new vocabulary out on the web called blocks, and it's kind of describing these kind of massive components that provide functionality and connect to an API. And I was like, well, that's kind of web components, and that's kind of how Salesforce kind of loads in the screen. You have all these blocks, and they have their own independent uh, API access to data streams and things like that. So it's it's interesting to kind of see the, 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 the difference in terminology when you look at things. And it's almost confusing because I'm thinking, oh, there's a new technology I've never heard of and I, I need to learn about it. And I'm like, oh, well, that's just what I do every day. So Yeah. HTTP3, I think, got approved or I don't, enabled. I not follow this at all. What's going on? I didn't either. I was okay. like, what's HTTP3? <laughs> I mean, I, to me, too, is still relatively new. Um, it's all based on the – oh, shoot. I'll have to click the link now because I forgot the, for the terminology. Uh, quick. The is a it's a protocol developed by a guy in Google, um, and it it's a transport mechanism. So HTTP two, which is TCP, relies on a handshake to to communicate across the web. So you 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 send a request, and there's a handshake from the server that says, "Yeah, I got your your yeah. request." And it's basically a way to prevent packet loss between mm-hmm. the communications. Yep. Uh, but it means it's very chatty protocol, so it goes back and forth and all your things. But in our modern day, with so many services and things like that. Um, the evolution is that that you'll have another layer within this, which is UDP, which is basically a fire and forget protocol. Well, that's and been around does, forever, though. I know, but oh, it, okay. it's 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 advancing the stack to say, okay, now there's a there's a blended approach to this where there there I think there's some handshake and there's some technologies within it, and I'm not an expert at this that kind of ha- tries to um, alleviate or or manage the kind of packet loss risk and things like that. Okay. But it's also its main intent is to build. A, be able to fire and forget where in situations where you need it. So it's the ability to do HTTP over UDP now. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that is interesting. Um, okay. So, so there's still a lot of support from browser manufacturers and things like that, that have to happen and sites that need to enable it and host it and things like that. So it's, it's, it's one thing that's, that's 
evolving over time. But changes to plumbing that's that low level on the web stack th- that does take that, yeah. that's like a honestly like a half a decade to a decade thing just yeah. for everyone to migrate to it. Yeah, that's interesting though. But yeah, because of the nature of the, the way it's going to communicate, it should improve performance across the web and speed. And for the nerds out there, this is RFC ninety one fourteen. Mm-hmm. If you want to go uh, have some light reading tonight. Yeah, I tried to read the uh, the official spec on that. <laughs> they, they're tough. usually pretty dry. <laughs> yeah, I went back to the article that, that reworded it for me. Yep. <laughs> All right, John, well, let's wrap this thing up, man. Sounds good. All right. Uh, dear listeners, uh, we have a Slack that you should be in if you're not already. To join, go to www.gooddaysirpodcast.com. Click on Community. And it will add you automatically or something. Or maybe John does it. It's manual. I don't know. I actually don't know. Or you can get someone else that's already in to add you. We we allow that, I guess. That's Uh, the easier way. Yep. Uh, Please leave us a review on your uh, platform of choice. Do we get reviews anymore, John? We don't even look, do we? Oh, I get emailed when they happen, but yeah, we haven't had any. Okay. Well, so that's sad. That makes me sad. Yeah, I'm in the red 20 bucks a month for that. Oh, just cancel that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, see, y'all, John paying $20 a month for this thing that notifies when there's a review and no one's leaving us reviews. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so pitiful and sad and depressing. Uh, we have an email address, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com, where you can send us questions, uh, topics. If you just like our anonymous uh, tipster or questioner, if you would like to send in your thing to for us to talk about, those are uh, usually pretty 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 infer- uh, interesting usually people have really good topics so mm-hmm. feel free to do that you can also send a sticker request we have lots of stickers um that we need to ship to people all over the world so we can do that to, to for you free of charge uh, we can send multiple stickers if you've got people that you want to share them with um that's the same email address info at gooddaysirpodcast.com uh share us on the socials tell your friends tell your enemies uh go outside get some sunshine it's good for you mm-hmm Move your body. That's good for you, too, I'm told. Don't do it often enough. What else, John? Any uh, closing tips from you? No, you said them all. All right. Well, let's oh, drink more water. Water's good for you, too. Yeah. Yep. And uh, don't write flows. <laughs> and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.